Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cocciolillo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cocciolillo, and today we have Susan Alexander. She's a composer, sound designer, biomusician, educator, performer, and radio producer. Thanks for coming on today. You're welcome. That is quite a list of stuff that you do. (laughs) It it is, and it really doesn't describe what I do at all. (laughs) What what exactly is like a a bio-musician? Yeah. um, Oh. Bio, when I wrote that, this was some years ago, mm-hmm. um, I guess what I had in mind, Gary, was that I take a lot of inspiration from frequencies in nature. And I don't know if your readers are familiar, or your listeners are familiar with the term called sonification, but that's where um, you can map data into sound. Mm-hmm. So NASA does it all the time. Um, we hear the sounds of Jupiter. We hear the sounds of the sun. Um, NASA's discovered that people love hearing data. So uh, it's big now. And so in the bio world, in the natural world, there are all kinds of sounds that we ordinarily can't hear because they're too low or they're too high. So we can bring them down or speed them up or get them into an audible range and discover all kinds of amazing things. Um, so that's a big inspiration of mine. And I'll, I'll give you a brief example. If you take the sound of thunder and you slow it way down, it sounds like a bunch of drunk cellos, hmm. you know, weaving in and out. I mean, it's, it's quite an amazing sound. <laughs> so um, this is a big inspiration for my art. And that's what bio music is. Wow. Um, Do these vibrations have any effect on the body or consciousness or brainwaves? Yeah, they certainly do. Um, They they absolutely do, Gary. And uh, for instance, thunder would be a universal thing, Mm -hmm. right? We don't have to even discuss that. Other sounds are going to be very individual for other people. But I looked at these sounds as not so much as healing sounds, because I don't like to get into that category of creating healing music. But I'm, I'm hoping that if people, if I do my work right, that people can um, resonate with something that I've done that's inside themselves and feel more alive, because something is chiming inside themselves. So that's kind of the simplest explanation. I guess that's why people like music so much. Oh, yeah. We love music. It's so mysterious. Um, (laughs) Somebody once said, you know, it's not matter and it's not spirit. It's really a combination of both. Yeah, it's very transformative. Yeah, I'll show you my... 
Oh, we don't see See these. all the guitars <laughs> in the back. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh-huh. But but the thing with music like, like it it changed for me personally, it really changed my life. You know, as a kid, I had like a really rough time learning and, and, and stuff like that. And uh, when I started learning how to play guitar and learning how to play music, even though it was, it was difficult, it was a real challenge. But once it clicked for me, everything kind of changed for me. Uh, once mm-hmm. I, I, I learned how to do it, uh, it's just, it really transformed my life. It, it does. It does. And I think the both the, the the point that you brought up about being hard is an interesting one because the act of you really working and focusing and being completely present trying to get that chord just right mm-hmm. when you get your hand in the right position <laughs> to cooperate is is a really profound process because it, it brings us to be so present and then we can sort of enter into this um i don't know how to put it gary but it's like it's like entering a world the world of music and it's not a passive thing it's an active thing yeah and even if you're not playing something if you're listening deeply Yeah, like I know for me, like it does go both ways. Like when I play like guitar, play guitar. Sometimes I just get in a in a really good groove, and everything just sort of stops for me. And there's there's no separation between me and the music. It's just all one continuous flow of energy, and and it's uh, it it really is uh, revitalizing. I think might be the word that I best describes it for me. Like I feel more energized, more alive. And the same thing with, with listening to music too. Um, I mean, I get a little bit of the effect from like, you know, just like listening, but for me, like, especially live music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you're getting those physical vibrations coming at your body. Yeah. Which is really, really important. Um, you know, not to get too mental about this, but uh, I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's sort of a wonderful way of looking at sound that as sound as an outflowing energy of nature and the cosmos. So if we look at it as a natural outflowing energy, that we're just picking up, you know, when we participate in it. No wonder you're feeling wonderful. Right. And, and, and the great thing is you get to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. You know, what makes you feel wonderful is not going to make somebody else feel wonderful necessarily. Because you're different. Oh, that's definitely true. I think, is that why, it's probably why different types of music resonate with different people. You know, I like to say, like, there's really no such thing as bad music. Right. Just just because it's not something that I'm feeling doesn't mean it's something else that somebody else isn't going to feel. You know, I used to teach music at Cogswell College, which is a a small college for um, uh, artists. And one thing I would have my students do is make a list of all their favorite music. You know, like maybe 12 things. Mm -hmm. And then I would challenge them to find anybody that could match their list. 
and they never could. They could get close, mm -hmm. because they could never find anybody that completely matched them. And it was a big eye-opener for them. Yeah. And also, as, as as a player of music, um, every every musician has their own voice or own rhythm, or you know, it's like nobody can ever copy another musician exactly. That's right. Doesn't work. Yeah. Doesn't work. Well, yeah. which, which says more to me that it's really something that more that comes from it's, it's a part of us. It's as individual mm -hmm. as each person. Yeah, you know, writers are always trying to find their voice and musicians are always trying to find that unique something that defines them. And a wonderful teacher once said to a writer, and this would apply to a musician too, or anybody, any artist, if you want to find your voice, then take a paragraph written by somebody that you really admire and write it again only slightly alter it and then look at you know and you can imagine a musician copying doing a cover song mm -hmm. go back and look and see what you changed and that's your voice right also i think um and, and this is common i least i know with with musicians is uh like if, if i'm trying to play something and then i make a mistake while playing it, I'm like, oh wait, that and then that mistake just turns into something completely new. Absolutely, you know, it, it really doesn't turn out to be a mistake. It's actually, as an artist, finding my own voice. Yep, that's what you follow. Mm -hmm. You got it. <laughs> yeah, very good. That's a big lesson for musicians to learn. It's not an easy lesson for them to learn, especially if they're classically trained. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, that's a hard one. But yeah, that's where your genius is. That's where your your brilliance is. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I'm lucky there because I'm like zero trained. I learned pressing like a uh, play, pause, and rewind on a cassette player. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's just fine and, until. Um, you get bored and want more, and some people can go and go and go and never need it. I mean, look at Paul McCartney. You know, yeah. Thanks uh, to Sinatra, and never formally learned music. He couldn't read. He couldn't read music. Yeah, like like now at least, like I mean, I know the theory of music. I th I find the theory very very helpful. Um, because it's, it's nice to understand what I'm doing. And and it's just like in jazz, you know, you learn all the rules and then you break them all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the theory also gives you some tricks to get out of ruts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it can be, you know, I love theory. It's, it's really creative. It really, it can really be creative. Awesome. So, so with the nature of frequencies, um, like one of the things I saw on the website is the you know you mentioned uh, about like making the music from a black hole, mm -hmm. and, um, and I remember reading somewhere too like like up the the vibration of a black hole is like B minor or something like that. I've 
heard that too. I don't know if that's true. Um, B flat seems to come up a lot yeah. around the resonant frequency of the universe, whatever the heck that means. Um, so as I was speaking to you before, this kind of stuff fascinates me. And there are also a lot of urban legends out there. Mm -hmm. So when I run across something like you just mentioned, I do a lot of research about it. I try and really get to the sources of where that came from. And because I'll use it in my art. And why do I use it in my art? Because I think there's so much information in frequency that we can't even uh, talk about. I mean, we can't, we can't language it. But if it is a natural force of the universe, then it's carrying a huge amount of information. And what's really fun for me is to fool around with that and see how that affects me or affects people. Um, for instance, one of the things I'm looking into right now is this thing called, oh my goodness, it's called, as, let's see, astro seismology. And what that is, is uh, astrophysics uh -huh. are now able to access literal sound from stars. Oh, wow. And this, there is sound in stars. Even though stars are gaseous, uh -huh. evidently the gas is even denser than gold. So it's possible for molecules of gas to be bumping around in there and creating, literally creating sound waves. We're not talking about light because mm -hmm. light has to do with magnetism. Right. I mean, light also shows up, but talking about molecular sound which is incredible so the sound can't get cannot get from the star to our planet because it can't go through a vacuum right mm -hmm. so how do they find the sound um well they look for little pressure fluctuations in the light that's coming from the star i mean it's very complicated and very difficult but it's kind of like measuring seismic waves on the earth mm -hmm. we can do it pretty well from the sun because the sun is so close yeah available but it's even harder to do uh with stars but anyway there is sound coming from the stars oh wow so so, so, so the sky oh, is singing oh it is <laughs> it is and on some level gary i really strongly believe that we are hooked up with that, that we are receiving. Hmm. Um, and so I am all, all excited about composing with sounds like that and trying to find out, you know, what's going on in there. And, um, what are these, uh, what information is coming to us from the stars? Wow. Yeah. Um, so how about here on earth? Like, like what frequencies, like, what is, like, is the Schumann res resonance a real thing? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the fundamental frequency of the earth. Um, 
typically starts at around 7.8 hertz, which is way too low to hear. Um, might be able to, well, I think a really sensitive person might be able to feel it um, mm. because we're being bathed in it all the time. So we probably can feel it. But because it's there all the time, we wouldn't, you know, how would we know? Right. right. Some say it's speeding up. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard those rumors. Yeah, I I can't quite wrap my brain around that one. I, I, I'd like to see some real data on that because I don't know where that's coming from. Hmm. But it could be. Um, but scientists kind of poo-poo that because they say, in order that to, for that to happen, the Earth would have to change shape because it has to do with the shape of the Earth and the distance of the circumference and all of this. So, who knows? But it's very real. Right. So, if the Earth has a Schumann residence, does that mean other planets have their own residence? Residence? They, yeah. The, like, is there a Mars residence? Yeah, probably because we think that the Schumann comes from uh, comes from um, waves that are set up from all kinds of physical disturbances like lightning strikes and mm-hmm. things like that. So if these planets were physically disturbed, it seems like there would be some kind of resonant frequency. So that Good almost that, that, yeah. that almost brings some type of scientific credence to astrology. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. if all the planets have their own resonance and they're vibrating at different, you know, in different places at different times, infecting our planet at different times, and since everything's vibration to begin with. Well, hey, if the sun and the earth are influencing us, and we know that. Yeah. Then why not the planets? Why not? It's incredible. I I just never really thought about thought about it from from that angle where it could actually be scientifically viable. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is ancient ancient knowledge, and we're just beginning to catch up again with it. Um, because this this, you know, just to give you a little magical mystery tour, really briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, Thousands and thousands of years ago, they all knew this, of course. Astrology was was uh, was huge. And then uh, coming forward at the time of um, the Greeks, we have Plato talking about it. Music of the spheres, Pythagoras. And then you skip forward into the Renaissance where they rediscovered all this stuff. And you get somebody like Pacino in Florence who says, oh, I'm going to bring back all this platonic idea of the world soul and, you know, the anima mundi and um, that there's this invisible dimension of the universe that we can contact through sound mm-hmm. and we can contact through sacred mathematics sacred number and i just completely believe that and that there's a sympathetic resonance going on between our souls and the cosmos and 
that if you really, here's the trick though, you have to focus, like we were talking about with you, we have to focus on something like a star or music, and through our emotions, through our feelings, we can resonate with the cosmos. We can find a way in, and and that will you know give us all kinds of uh, celebrations and interplays, and you know we can unite the beauty of the cosmos with the beauty of ourselves. Yeah. So this was a huge thing in the Renaissance. And then, of course, the Enlightenment came along, science came along, and boom, went underground. But now it's coming back. It's it's really making a huge comeback. And there are lots of artists like myself who are trying to celebrate that and trying to actively make it happen. Is there any connection with the ancient wisdom and, say, like a hermetic philosophy? Oh, yeah. As above, so below. There you go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like the whole thing is a unit, right? Mm-hmm. The whole thing is singing together. And the movements, nothing's still, everything's moving. And the movements of the planets and the stars and the vibrations that are coming off of them are affecting us and entraining us. You know, it's, 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 uh, how would you call it? We're being animated. It's magic. Yeah. It's true magic. That's really interesting. You know, the idea you know, I, I've done a lot of episodes like on holographic universe theory and, and stuff like that. But but from this perspective, it's like we're living or in existing within a musical composition. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And the, the cosmos is ensouled. It's ensouled. And that's music is one of those, it's the expressions of its soul. And I would argue maybe the most fundamental, maybe the most fundamental one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even as as, as children, like one of the first things that 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 we d- started appreciating is music. You know, we started mm-hmm. singing, making little songs, and you know, listening to music before even our visual stuff kicks in. It, it seems like the sound is like the first thing that we really start to recognize. Oh, I know. It's it's so beautiful, and it just breaks my heart that it's being cut out of the schools, and you know. But I think people are finally getting it. We can't do that. Yeah. You know, and, and the virus has really made that obvious that we're desperately missing our musicians. <laughs> Actually, since the virus has happened, the thing I miss the most is going to live music events. Exactly. You know, because mm-hmm. it's just something I've always done since I was a kid. I've always been like a, just a, a huge music goer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, I I don't know if you like Indian music, um, Asian Indian music, but I I really love it. One of the reasons I really love it is because they deliberately um, come from this. Cosmolo- cosmological right. view 
And if you ever go to a concert of Indian music, you know, the sitar's up there and the tabla and whoever else. And they kind of noodle around for a while and fuck this and that. You know, you think, what are they doing? <laughs> you know, are they warming up or what, what are they doing? And they're very deliberately tuning the space. Mm -hmm. They're tuning you. They're tuning the audience, they're tuning themselves, and they're tuning the space. And this, you know, noodling stuff can go on for, I've seen it go on a half an hour before they actually start playing the, the ragas. Uh -huh. But sometimes they, it only lasts maybe a couple minutes, and then they get right into it. Um, and I, I think that's just so exciting that that's what they're doing. That they're waiting amazing. for that magic moment when everything's aligned, and then they go. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is even similar, like with jam bands too, like Grateful Dead or Fish or whatever. They just sort of they don't plan or set. They just kind of go out and, and, and get a feel for what the audience wants and, and and go for it. Exactly. Yeah, and I think there's a big distinction here about between that and pure improvisation because pure improvisation boy you really can't pull that off unless you're really a master because it just descends into blah you know and, or chaos but if you've got some kind of a structure to put it into then it, it can be really wonderful so yeah so I'm not talking about improvisation and neither are you we're mm. talking about literally finding the group yeah 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 hey, i'm not even sure like, like even like like i do a lot of improvisation improv like when i'm playing like lead guitar you know very rare when i play lead with any you know set structure as long as i like, like as long as i know what key we're playing in i'm good you know <laughs> yeah. um but but there is more to it because there's the uh the phrasing and the phrasing has to fit within whatever the other person is playing. So you mm -hmm. kind of have to not only be on the same page, but you have to be, I, I, I don't even know if there's a word for it. <laughs> it's called flow. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to be sensitive to that flow when you come in when you leave, when you join, when you interrupt, um, yeah, because rhythm is, is really huge. Rhythm is huge. Yeah, and also I find that I uh, that with some people, if I'm playing with them, and it just never happens, and with others, it always happens. So it's it's almost like like I have to be doing that with like a friend, somebody I know. Yeah, well, you know, Gary. Again, if you think of it as an outflow, a natural outflowing energy. Mm -hmm. from the universe and from nature, if you think of it that way, then you and your friend are trying to find that flow. And it, it's a rare thing to really, really find it. But when you're in resonance with it, then there's no better feeling in the whole world. It's, it's amazing. It takes you like almost off the planet. It does. Because you're, you're surfing. You're surfing the Zuluya, you know, you're surfing it. 
wonderful. Yeah, worth all that work, isn't it? Oh yeah, way worth it. <laughs> 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 and, and, and actually like learning to play guitar was really only like maybe a year's worth of work as a kid and when, when, once you got it you got it it doesn't go away yeah it doesn't yeah <laughs> yeah you get that mind brain that body brain connection and then you, you can really have fun yeah um with, with your work how do you find out the frequencies of some of the things that you're playing, like uh, like how do you find out what the frequency is of of um, like DNA or of a tree or grass or the ocean, um, like like how do you take that and incorporate it into music? Well, sometimes I use science data, and mm -hmm. then I can directly map that over to sound, because uh, fortunately. <clears throat> excuse me sound is measured in hertz right right and light or electromagnetic anything on the electromagnetic spectrum like <clears throat> heat or visible light or gamma rays they're all measured in hertz as well only they're usually very very high fast hertz so you can directly map one to the other the trick is if you're mapping something from uh, the electromagnetic spectrum, it's going to be too high to hear. So you have to drop it down octave by octave. Uh -huh. by octave. And, and that's a simple doubling and halving process. Uh, process. And so, for instance, if you have a frequency that's um, a thousand, no, let's say... Well, let's say 10,000 hertz. <laughs> you know, so something over here, like a maybe, um, let's take a, the example of a star. No, that's not a good one. Well, anything, say you've got something in light and it's vibrating, or say 10,000 hertz, which is not true. It's going to be much faster than that. But to bring it down by octaves, you would just divide 10,000 by two. Mm -hmm. So if that 10,000 came out to be something like an A, you divide it by two, so you get 5,000, that would be the A lower. Mm -hmm. And then 2,500 would be the A lower than that. And down you go until you could hear it. Here's the trick, though, if it were sound. Right. So, you know what I mean? Light is never going to be sound. And when I first started out, Gary, I thought, oh, I can just take a light frequency and lower it down and it'll become sound. Uh -huh. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> what and happens? And you can't speed up sound and get light because uh -huh. they're two different phenomena in our reality. You know. Sound pushes molecules, and light has to do with magnetism. They're completely different things. Right. But they both create these vibrations that are measured in hertz. Uh -huh. So that's kind of a um, bird's eye view of it. But So when I did a project in 1988 with um, a cell biologist, Dr. David Deemer, mm -hmm. 
I asked him, how can I access some frequency from DNA? And he said, well, the base molecules in DNA, like adenine and guanine and cytosine, um, they're all made up of little molecules, and these little molecules jiggle around, and they create frequencies, and they create infrared heat. And he said, here's a book, here's a list of what they are, and you could take those frequencies and pretend they're sound and see what they sound like. Uh-huh. So that's what I did for um, sequencia. So that's kind of a typical thing that, that I can do. So when you use the sound uh, from DNA, mm -hmm. does certain frequencies affect our DNA and activate different uh, different things in our body and in our consciousness? Oh, I would love to know that. I would love to know that. Yeah, that's the holy grail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they do. You know, we just don't know how. But, you know, I think a clue to that, Gary, might be the fact that, um, you know, you've heard of epigenetics, right? Right. Lipton talks about it a lot and so forth. And that basically what epigenetics is saying is that outside influences act upon our DNA. And the biggest one really is how your consciousness, your own consciousness feels about something. So if you're listening to music that you absolutely adore, that's going to be healing for you. Mm -hmm. That's going to reach your cells, your biology and your body and your consciousness. And you're going to give these little signals to yourself like, oh, this is making me feel really good. Right. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm radiant. I'm happy. Whereas I could listen to that and say, yeah, not for me. <laughs> so, so. Do you think that some, like, for example, like I'm a really big fan of like heavy metal and punk. And like lately mm -hmm. I've been really into this stuff called, like, I guess it's called like stoner doom metal. It's like sort of slow, heavy black Sabbath type of music, but it's, it's oh sort of, God. they're sort of like taken to like this next level. <laughs> and, yeah. and like, uh, like, like, do you think like, that kind of music has a negative effect on a person or is it could it, I mean, like I'm sure like most people would listen to that and like, Oh my God, that's just <laughs> the craziest, weirdest stuff I've ever heard. And, and like me, I'm like, it's like, Oh yeah, this is cool. Well, it's tell me, me in what the group. It does, tell me what it does for you. What do you feel? Um, do you feel? One, it, it, I, I like it cause it has a ton of bass in it. And when anytime, music has a lot of bass in it. I can really just feel it in my body, in my in my cells, basically. And and it just has a, 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 a usually like a just a slow, heavy, rolling type of tempo, uh, which I find useful when I'm at work because it it just creates this a manageable pace for me to, to to do a job like like making orange juice. You know, just throwing oranges in the machine all day. And it just it creates this rhythm of. <laughs> Right, you know, right. And, and I just kind of get in that groove and, and and hang out. 
Well, that's fantastic. I mean, you found your your stuff. I would say the only thing to be careful of is is that the loudness doesn't affect your 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 bodily organs. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling uncomfortable in your stomach or something, then you should back off of them because uh, that's an indication it's too strong. But it sounds like it's really helping your your body to access what you need to get what you need. Yeah. That's cool. So so it's not like a, a negative thing that's going to make me go crazy. I, honestly, I know it's not because, I mean, I've been listening to outrageous music since I was a kid. And you don't seem crazy to me. I no. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you'll know. You know, yeah. you'll know when it's too much. And, and it's, it's just a natural thing, um, too. Like, one of the things that I brought up with Nandi was, like, the combination of sound and light, like, going to actual rock concerts. Like, one of my first, one of my things, I never forgot it was my first rock concert as a kid. You know, I remember it was, uh, I went to go see Deep Purple when I was, like, I don't know, 15, you know, and... uh the, the the psychedelic music and 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 the lights and and, and the whole thing just um it just it blew me away yeah. and and you know I I think as uh not as as adults but maybe like since then you know like like we've sometimes underestimate the power of that experience. Mm-hmm. And how transformative and how intense and how amazing it really, really is. Yeah, you know what I want to say about that is I think what we're really underestimating is the power of our own imaginations wow. and our own creativity. Because we think as people listening to music, we think of or, or going to an art gallery or or dance whatever it is, you know, we're, ta- we're trained to kind of think of ourselves as being passive receptors. But in what you're talking about, you literally are creating something amazing mm-hmm. by getting that sound. Whereas, you know, I would create something completely different or the person next to you would com- create something completely different. And we just don't value that enough, I think, in our culture. Because we're we're such creative beings. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be great if the audience could feel like they could be celebrated. Mm-hmm. You know, for what they're putting into the experience. Right. And that's one of the things that I think used to attract me really to, like, the punk shows. Like... You know, at, at punk rock shows, you know, I, I mean, you know, like, there, there's insane, like, people are slam dancing and stage diving. Like, like at Ramon's shows, it was completely insane. Yeah. But it would have been... But they're onto something. It would have been absolutely nothing, though, without the crowd. Without that audience, it doesn't yeah. happen. There you go. That's really a good point. You know, and sometimes, you know, you'll go to these concerts... I'm just always amazed when I look out into a concert that's really cooking along and I see people just sitting there without moving. Yeah. And I think, what are you, are you dead? You 
soy, what's going on? You know? Mm-hmm. It's really, I would not, I don't know if I'd call it a sickness in our society, but it's pretty darn close to that. Right. You know? So, yeah, I think your ravers are on to something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an interactive experience. Yes, it should be. And, yeah. and the exchange of vibration. I think I think the music sends the people vibration and the people send vibration back to the musicians. And it becomes almost like a biofeedback. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I've done a little bit of performing. Um, most in choirs, but also my, my own music. And right. Uh, that's, you can feel it in the audience, you know, you can, it is, it's, it is extremely energizing. Yeah. Yeah. I think an audience has a responsibility to, to, um, to, to broadcast that. To mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's why like, like you, I, I believe that the arts are really, really important. And for me personally, is I can't really even separate art from spirituality either, and in, in actually yeah. my own physical being. That's right, because it is the way the universe is. The universe is frequency; it is vibration. It's we're participating in it. You know, we're not passive little sticks down here. We're we're expressions of it. Mm-hmm. How how do you think feel about things like um like like Reiki where they say that they adjust your vibrate vibration in order to to heal other people? Do you think there's actually like like a real attunement going on? Like 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 for me personally, I, I, I just I'll just admit that I I think everybody has the ability to heal naturally without having any type of attunement, just like giving somebody a hug make somebody feel better because of the exchange of vibration. What is your take on that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, Gary. I think there's some very skilled Reiki people um, and, and all kinds of, of healers. But this is an interesting question because I think there are two factors. Mm-hmm. One, what is the healer doing? Like if you were unconscious on the table, would you be getting the same healing effect as if, if you were consciously right. uh, absorbing them? And maybe you would. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I think a huge part is if you've ever been in a hospital, hopefully you haven't, but if you ever have, and well, my own experience was I had a, a major operation once and the doctor came out and he afterwards and he put his hand on my knee and he said, how are you doing? And I could feel the life force coming from his hand. And I was instantly relaxed, instantly felt better because I was translate. So I don't know. I'm participating in the translation of that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So if you're lying there, you're getting a massage and your consciousness is saying, this is good. This is wonderful. Yeah. You're, you're the healer too. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's both. I think it's both and. Hmm. But I would experiment with all kinds of healers. Yeah. Yeah. It. yeah. It's just like, like what I've always wondered is like, like something like, like in the Reiki stuff anyway, um, they say that you cannot perform Reiki on another person until you've first been attuned to it. And that's the part that I don't really buy into because I, I think it just as human beings is a natural ability that we all have. It, mm -hmm. It's just our intention. You know, we, yeah. we if, if we have a positive intention for each other, intent, if your intention is positive, another person is going to feel it. Just like if your intention is negative and you're out to harm somebody, other people feel it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we all know people that when we're in their presence, we just feel calm and nurtured and wonderful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then there's other people you're just like, uh-uh. Right. Avoid that one. Yep. Yeah. Oish. Well, I think I think we all have to take responsibility for that and to um, not be around a person like that. Right. Even if it's a, you know, God forbid it's a family member. But if it's a family member, you really you do have to protect yourself. You have to have those boundaries and just say, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's some people you just gotta dodge. <laughs> Family <choice>. or not. Bad <laughs> choice. Wow. But it's, but but even that 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 is still it's all reading. In, I think it's fit reading and feeling vibrations. Mm -hmm. You know, it, okay. it it's the same thing. Each person is basically playing their own music. You know, I've always wanted to be in a world where people recognize that they are master tuners. You know, I mean, we all do it, right? right. We go into a messy room and we say, oh, I think, well, I want to put this over there. And this feels better over here. And, you know, let's put some color on that wall. Or, you know, take that whole thing out. I mean, we're all doing this tuning all the time. Mm -hmm. People would just... Um, realize that they're little yoginis doing it all the time they could really have fun with it yeah people are it's just like, like you said you know we we've we uh, like ancient you know the older generations the ancient generations were much more in tune with it than we are um how do you Think about like uh, using music for trance, like like shamanic drumming, and you know using it, you know, like like or like what um, Damien does with the binaural beats, like mm -hmm. like changing the using the change over like the theta wave and stuff like that. Well, it definitely does work. Yeah, there's it's science behind it. And they have discovered no um, sh shamans drum there's a particular frequency that they drum to uh, that could either entrain uh, brain waves or there's another possibility uh, archaeologists have been going into these sacred sites and sacred temples mm -hmm. and blasting them with sound and then seeing which sounds decay have the longest decay and the last sound that they can hear is the resonant frequency of the space. 
it's the, the true voice of the space. And what they discovered is pretty remarkable. There's a frequency of 110 hertz and or 111 hertz. No, 112 doesn't seem to do it, but 110 and 111 seem to flip the brain into some kind of um, more receptive mode so that they can go deeply into the unconscious. And I, I can't tell you physiologically how that works. Damien would be able to tell you. Right. But uh, so I believe, you know, shamans work with that. And they, they know that there's certain things that really work. That's incredible. Yeah. Is is that also like like what happens with monks when they do chanting? Oh, I don't know, Gary. Um, could be. It could be. I don't know if anyone's ever done any studies on that. Hmm. Because uh, one one ten would be a very low A. You can still hear it, and I think low voices could sing it. So possibly. So it's kind of like yeah, maybe like, like 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 the Mongolian throat whistlers, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think the way to check that out is just to put yourself <laughs> in the presence of that and see what happens, see if it works for you. Yeah, I, oh, I've always liked chanting monks; they're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do too. I just love Gregorian chant because it's uh, it again. It's about that flow. Mm -hmm. you know? They're in that flow. It's beautiful. Um. So, so from a scientific view, like like uh, which. Like actually, let's skip that one. What okay. do you think about this argument between four forty and four thirty-two? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, well, first of all, I think all tones are wonderful. Uh huh. So if you're, but there is a definite difference in effect on the body between listening to say a chamber group tuned to 440 or chamber group tuned to 432. And I'm assuming your listeners know what we're talking about, but uh, the, the standard orchestral A is 440 cycles per second. So when the orchestra assembles, you hear the oboe first mm -hmm. playing that note, and then everybody else is supposed to tune with them. Well, it's really an artificial tuning because, um, oh my gosh, you know, I play the viola da gamba, which is a medieval baro uh, renaissance Baroque instrument. And my A is 415 cycles per second. I'm really tuned low. Yeah. And that's what the instrument loves the best. And so there's been this kind of musical inflation going on all through the centuries that this A has gotten higher and higher and higher and higher. And it may not seem like much because it's still a recognizable A, but what it does to the body is, is really 
different. Mm -hmm. So you can go on YouTube and listen to these chamber groups that are tuned to 432, the, the strings, mostly strings. And they're beautiful. Your whole body just kind of goes, oh, it's, it's mellow more. It's more mellow. It's more relaxed. So from a healing standpoint, I mean, which would you want? You know, I, I would want the one that makes me feel better. Yeah. But, but, but scientifically, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you know, one of the things, like like when I was a kid, we didn't have electric tuners. So we would just sort of tune the, we would just guess, <laughs> basically. Sure. And then tune to each other and, and, and just kind of hope it turns out okay. You know? That's a wonderful way to do it, actually. Wow. That's an awesome way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like now we have little... now we have electric tuners, so everybody's yeah, the same. Yeah, but electric tuners, you should get the kind that will allow you to dial up the precise A you want. Yeah, I have then, one of those. Yeah, you can experiment. Also, it depends on your instrument. Depends mm -hmm. on the strings. Depends on what your instrument sounds best doing. And that that's a fun project. Yeah, that's like another big debate in music too is about. Um, you know, like, like, like Jimi Hendrix used to turn tune to like a F flat instead of an E. Was, <laughs> a flat F. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and everybody's like, well, well, that sounds better on this particular type of Stratocaster guitar, you know, like, like to me, it just doesn't, I don't, I don't really hear the difference. <laughs> That's interesting. I never heard that. Yeah, but he was sensitive enough to feel a difference. Yeah. Well, this A440 is a big deal in the classical world because as the orchestras inch up in, in the frequency, the singers, the opera, especially the opera singers, are revolting. They hate it <laughs> because it's messing up their... It, it's really harming them mm -hmm. on the high notes they yeah it's it's a very real thing yeah that is is actually funny like in, in like heavy metal and rock heavy you know punk world as musicians get older the bands have to tune down lower to match the singer's voice because <laughs> the singers yeah. can't go as high as they used to when they were younger interesting interesting Oh, it's just a great playground. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think there are any big conspiracy deals with this A440 thing, but um, A430, I mean, four, A440, but A432, if you were to look at it from the standpoint of physics, is the natural overtone series mm -hmm. A. So if you start with C equals one cycle per second, um, and then you know you tune everything, all the harmonics fall above that one. Right. Uh, you're going to get to 432. So it's it is the most natural uh, in nature. Hmm. Interesting. Does that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, 
How about like uh, cymatics? Have you, have you done anything with cymatics? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I would encourage if people listening were kind of fascinated about the star sounds. Mm-hmm. I think John Stuart Reed, R-E-I-D, has done some cymatic work with um, visual images of these sounds of stars. And I haven't had time to go to his website yet, but he's he's the cymatics guy, John Stuart Reed. Hmm. And yeah, cymatics are beautiful. Do you think there's any connection between the cymatics and say, um, like the you know, like when he like Buddhists will create the mandalas and stuff? Um, they're very, yeah, it's very, yeah. they're very similar to what you see in cymatics, the you sacred know, I, geometry I, I, aspect. I would love to see somebody really get into that, because yeah, I I think how could the symbols not be in some these ancient ancient symbols somehow not be associated with sound? Um, there's one guy, Stuart Mitchell. You heard of Stuart Mitchell? No. He, um, he might interest you. He's in, gosh, Roslyn Chapel. Is that in Edinburgh? Really? In Glasgow. I think it's Edinburgh. So he found these symbols in the Roslyn Chapel oh. all around the top of the chapel. And they looked like cymatic symbols. And so he investigated and he worked with, I think it was John Reed. I'm not sure. To find out what notes those cymatic symbols might be. Right. And then he wrote music from those notes. But he's wow. the only one that I know of that's doing it. Hmm. Maybe I'll see if I can get in touch with him. That would be an interesting episode. Yeah, if you Google Rosalind Chapel cymatics, mm-hmm. you should find him. Great. I'll definitely look him up. Because I definitely think that there is a connection. I, I think is everything in the universe is just naturally connected somehow. Absolutely. I don't I don't understand how it's happening, you know. But but quantum science just show you know seems to show it, and uh, you know I, you know what happens one place seems to affect something that happens somewhere else, and our thoughts seem to affect each other. Um, it's, it's just know, Gary, amazing. Don't you think that's kind of our way out of this mess that we're in? If, if we could all really get that. Yeah. Then we would take care of each other, you know, because we just, we just would. And, and also I think we would, if we could celebrate, you know, like I was talking about our own creative juices, mm-hmm. uh, you know, realize Wow, we need to honor that our imagination is powerful. <laughs> then, then we feel like we have everything that we need. You know, there wouldn't be any. He's got more than I do. Yeah, I don't want to lose this. You know, things would calm down hopefully. You know, one of the catchphrases, like you'll hear it on my outro of the podcast when I play it at the end of the interview. But what, at the end of my interview, at my outro, um, it says, uh, everything that is was first imagined. 
Yes. You know, nothing, nothing would exist. Nothing that we've made would ever be real if we had not imagined it first. It's the most powerful thing we have. Is our creative imagination. Yeah. Yeah. With, with, without it and without learning how to work with it, use it in a constructive way, um, no progress can be made. And, and the same thing with the destructive, we can use it just as bad, you know, in, in a negative way too. So we have to be aware of how we're using our imagination. Yeah, we do. It's very, very powerful. And it's sad to me that the majority of us don't even honor it, don't even recognize we have it, because our education system doesn't support that. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we gotta change things. We do. <laughs> Quickly. Because <laughs> imagination is the real architect of our reality. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> our reality is not necessarily something external no it's all happening inside and you know we get to travel we get to create we get to travel we get to, and we get to choose like you said we get to choose what we're going to use it for so. yeah awesome and thanks for taking the time today to be on and to talk with me well, thank you for inviting me, Gary. It was really pleasant and wonderful to meet you and to hear your ideas. I always learn something, too. I'm glad I, I'm able to come up with some good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to feel brain dead. It's like my third, third podcast today. <laughs> nah, you did great. Thanks. <laughs> um, where can my listeners find you? Well, my website is OurSoundUniverse.com. So it's just like O-U-R, OurSoundUniverse.com. And I don't do Facebook. I don't do Twitter. I don't do... I'm old-fashioned. Um, so that's... But that's where you can find me and to write to me. I'd love to hear from anybody. And um, you can listen to sound samples on there and... Um, yeah, that's where they can find it. Awesome. Uh, what I'll do is oh, I'll put it, I'll put a link to oh. that in the notes of this episode, so when people are listening, they can check you out. Yeah, just just let me um, remind people that there is a J in my last name, Alexander. It's not pronounced, but there's a J, <laughs> and that's to differentiate me from, you know, Susan Alexander's when you Google because. She's the bimbo in Citizen Kane. And, you know, there are all kinds of famous Susan Alexanders. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the J is something that I use as an artist. It's good to know. It, it threw me off at first because I, I, I looked you up and I said, wait, this isn't the person I'm interviewing. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. You know, I, I forget who it was, but somebody I was interviewing and I looked him up her name and, and it came up as a porn star and I was like what oh <laughs> what is going on <laughs> maybe not that one no uh, wrong person <laughs> oh great well, thanks for taking the time to talk with me uh, you're welcome Gary. I'll definitely yep. 
uh, stay in touch with you. We'll do it again. Yeah, that would be really fun. That'd be fun. And uh, just bear with me for one moment, and I'll play my outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It will change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.